Good day, and welcome to the ESPN Media Conference Call with Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay. Today's conference is being recorded. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Allie Stoneberg. Please go ahead, ma'am. Thank you, Travis. Hello, everyone. A big thank you to all of you for your interest in these calls throughout the draft season. Truly appreciate the time that you're on the phone with us and your patience as we're moving question to question. Before we begin our Q&A session with Mel and Todd, I have one programming note for you and a favor to ask. First off, if you missed last night's SportsCenter special draft grades, you can tune in for the Encore presentation tomorrow, May 3rd. It's at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN. And then as for the favor, if you'll please skip the high hellos today and start right away with your questions, that'll help us make this call really efficient. We're going to start with Chris Gabe with NOLA.com, followed by Daryl Slater with the Newark Star Ledger. And guys, you'll have both Mel and Todd on the line. Go ahead, Chris. Hi. Um, yeah, two questions, really. One about the Saints, uh, kind of their overall, your overall thoughts on their, their draft class, and I guess in particular about the trades that they made up, some of the what value you thought they got out of getting those two guys, Von Bell and then the uh, defensive lineman. And then also, uh, from an LSU perspective, Jalen Mills and Bedal Alexander both went in the seventh round. And I'm curious if that was a little bit lower than you, than you might have thought. Yeah, I thought it was for uh, for Jalen Mills with his, with his versatility. I thought he might go in the third or fourth round. He dropped to the seventh. It seemed like in this draft, a number of players that were projected a little higher did drop. And there were some really good bargains. And Alexander, with his versatility, I think he's a guard. Didn't test that well. I think that hurt him and pushed him into the later rounds. In terms of the Saints, I gave him a B B minus grade. No outside linebacker, no guard. But Rankins is a real good pick. His name had been associated with the Saints throughout the like every mock that we did had Rankins going to the Saints. Michael Thomas, good player, uh, solid with his size and his uh, ability to high point the ball. I thought he had a, a nice career at Ohio State. And Von Bell went with two Buckeyes. Will he be a corner? Will he be a safety? I think he has to pick it up. He admitted it. He has to be more aggressive and be a better tackler. But he's a real good cover guy, and we'll see where he figures in. Anyamata from Manitoba, a little early, but he's got upside. He certainly flashed that in the postseason. And Daniel Lasco, I thought, could be a fifth-round pick. They got him in the seventh. So, uh, overall, uh, I think a solid draft for the Saints. Only five picks. Didn't address outside linebacker and guard, but they got three players uh, in the first two rounds that are going to help them immensely. And I think they actually – Guys that should be starters for them for a while. You replace Marcus Colston with with Michael Thomas, a big physical possession receiver. Rankins, as Mel said, the versatility that Rankins brings with their scheme now 4-3. He can be a 4-3 nose. He can also be a three technique. So that helps. And then Von Bell, I think, is the best cover safety in this draft. So moving up, yes, they gave up they gave away some currency, if you will, but they saw that they had to get an athletic upgrade. I know they had a very high grade on Von Bell, and they were surprised that he was still available at 61. We'll go to Daryl Slater, followed by Paula Bovin with the Arizona Republic. Yeah, for the Jets, I'd just like to get both of your guys' thoughts on Christian Hackenberg in uh, in round two. Uh, yeah, I had no problem with it at all. To pick 51, you would have thought that maybe Houston was going to grab him when they traded up and took uh, you know, Nick Martin from Notre Dame. 
Uh, I think it's a good pick. I just hope they don't force Hackenberg to really try to compete. You want to basically right the ship. You want to recreate what we saw as a freshman with Hackenberg. And I think if they allow him some time, they'll be in, in good shape there and maybe have their quarterback of the not-too-distant future. I like Darren Lee. Love his speed, his athleticism, and his versatility. Jordan Jenkins is never going to test great, but he plays strong at the point, stronger at the point than Leonard Floyd. Not the pass rusher, potentially, that Floyd can become, but a good, solid player. Uh, and in the late round, Sharon Peak. I never thought Peak would ever last to the seventh round. I didn't think he'd pass the third or fourth round. So I think uh, while he it tends to be a little inconsistent at times, uh, he's a big kid. Uh, he can be, provide some physically uh, physical matchup advantages over the cornerback he's working against. Uh, I think Sharon Peak uh, could be a seventh-round pick who can help that offense. I think with Hackenberg, Chan Gailey has a lot to work with here. There's a lot of work that needs to be done, though, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but I think that's where he was he was projected to go. So in terms of value, that's that was the right decision and and you completely understandable. They put a lot of time in with him too in the pre-draft process. So they're very comfortable with him in terms of the mental makeup, how quickly he thinks that things through how quickly he can pick up new uh, installments. I thought he improved Hackenberg this past year with his with decision making. He didn't force the ball as much and Outside of maybe Jared Goff, no quarterback I evaluated this year faced more consistent pass rush pressure, and way more so than Jared Goff. Goff had good wide receivers. His wide receiver core, Hackenberg's, wasn't very good. So the statistics are not great, and there's a lot of throws that he makes where you just sit there and you wonder about the natural accuracy. But there's also a lot of throws that he makes that are big-time pro throws under pressure, staring down the gun barrel, showing toughness and showing the ability to anticipate and throw to a spot. So I think he's, he was one of the most difficult evaluations in the entire draft because there are so many flashes of greatness and then there are so many flashes of concern when it comes to his accuracy. Uh, but it, to me, it's worth a shot because of the importance of that position and Chan Gailey's got a lot of work to do, but I, I think there's, there's clay to be molded. We'll go to Paula Bohan, followed by Willie Smith with the Greenville News. Thank you, and a two-parter for both of you. Just Were there any surprises for you guys about how the selection of quarterbacks unfolded in the draft? And also the Cardinals, I know, signed Jake Coker as an undrafted free agent, and I wondered your impression of his potential. Well, he made a lot of progress uh, during the course of the year. I think he's a at best a backup type uh, but I thought Lane Kiffin and the way they tailored that offense to suit what he does uh, helped him. I, yeah, to me, yeah, like I said, he was a maybe a late-round possibility. He signs as a free agent, but at best a, a backup. As far as the quarterbacks, the big one for me was Connor Cook. Uh, drop until the fourth round and Cody Kessler going in the third to Cleveland when Cook drops to the fourth and goes to Oakland. Uh, yeah, I think when you look at, at the quarterbacks, some of them dropped to the later. Nate Sudfeld dropped to the late rounds. He was thought to be maybe a little earlier than that to Washington. Uh, you think about Jeff Driscoll. He's in a pretty good spot at San Francisco because he's hand-picked by Chip Kelly, and he's got mobility. He's an athlete. He's a big, strong runner. Uh, if he can develop more accuracy throwing the football uh, and improve his mechanics, and all of a sudden maybe you have something with Driscoll. And I just like the fact that Chip Kelly saw something in him uh, that he liked enough to, to draft him and bring him into that organization. So uh, overall, Paxton Lynch was the guy that Kansas City tried to get, Dallas tried to get, but Denver moved up and got him. And we'll see how that plays out with the Broncos. Hopefully he's not forced to be the guy this year. Uh, you would hope that Mark Sanchez can secure that position, and uh, they can wait a year or so for Paxton Lynch. Yeah, Nate Sudfeld is a little bit lower than than I thought. Sixth round, I thought maybe a little bit earlier, but I, I think there's some potential there to be developed. Um, I think 
uh, Brandon Allen, to me, was a surprise that he lasted until the sixth round. I thought he could go as early as maybe the third round coming out of Arkansas. Really, I thought, improved his accuracy this past year. He did a nice job in under pressure. He's kind of he's a gamer who just keep, kept getting better and better and better, and he played his best games during the second half of this final season. And they think they were they won six of their final seven and he just he was on fire. So he was a guy that I, I thought was kind of moving up in the process and I thought he'd go a little bit earlier. And Kevin Hogan, I don't know that I thought he'd go a lot earlier. He went in the fifth round to Kansas City, but I think he's in a good place. And I, I think, you know, with Andy Reid in Kansas City and and looking for intelligence in that quarterback room, Kevin Hogan's gonna bring an awful lot there. May never be a, a good starter in the league, but I think he's gonna be a really good backup for a long time. Willie Smith is next, and then we'll go to Bill Rabinowitz with the Columbus Dispatch. Yes, I was just curious uh, how you how you guys think Pharaoh uh, Cooper will fit in with the Rams, and where did he go about where you thought he would go? Pharaoh Cooper, I, I was a big fan. I thought he was one of the more underrated players in this draft, and I just I like the quickness. He's not a top end speed guy. He didn't run. He, very well at his pro day, and I know he was disappointed with that. I, I didn't see great speed on tape, but that doesn't mean he's not a good player. And he shows a lot of toughness, does a really good job for his size, going up and getting the football in the air, competing for the ball in the air. And I think he's got a chance to contribute. I like him as a slot receiver and a guy who will do the dirty work over the middle of the field. I'm surprised he lasted to the fourth round. Yeah. I, I, measurables that weren't ever going to work in his favor. He's not a workout warrior. He's a football player. And again, uh, but the delay in the end of the season. Reminds me of Jarvis Landry a little just bit. Just a tough kid. And he blocks and he catches in traffic. And he does all the things. He, you know, he'll go get the football down the field. He'll do everything you want. He'll battle into double coverage for the football. Uh, I don't know what he's – I mean, I understand the measurables aren't that favorable, but to get him in the fourth round for Jared Goff and also got Tyler Higby and Michael Thomas, they did a nice job uh, bringing in some, some pass-catching options. But I think Cooper, I think, uh, will be a steal in the fourth round. There were some players that I didn't think were even close to him in terms of grade and ability that went higher. Bill Rabinowitz is up, and then we'll go to Kelsey Conway with the Atlanta Falcons. Yes. Uh, what's your best reasoning for why Tyvis Powell and Jalen Marshall didn't get drafted? And, and I hesitate to even ask this question considering how exhausted I'm sure you are, but if you've given any thoughts of the 2017 draft, what kind of class does Ohio State looks like it'll look like it'll have with Raekwon McMillan, Pat Elfline, Tyquan Lewis, et cetera? Well, I think when you look at the, the draft and, and those players dropping, they shouldn't have come out. I mean, again, if you're not projected to be, I've always said if you're not a first-round pick or in the mix to be a first-round pick, then you go back. And Jalen Marshall, once he ran that four six forty, yeah, it didn't test that well. And of course, you know, he's an inexperienced receiver. Uh, yeah, he could have been the guy. You got Michael Thomas moving on. You could have been stepping up and being the man. And and to leave early when you're not even in the second or third round discussion. Didn't make any sense. Same thing with Powell. There's some really good safeties coming out this year. Um, he had graduated in three years, so I, I understood yeah, with him. Still, but yeah, you but, got options. You have options. Use them. But he also, you know, he played in 42 games during his career. 195 tackles. Big time playmaker. Eight in, interceptions. And then he wound up working. His workout numbers were better than the athlete I saw on tape. To be honest with you, and I, I think while he he did everything kind of pretty well and, and was a solid player and made big plays and big moments. There were some athletic limita- limitations that I saw there, and, and 
I thought some missed tackles and some inconsistency with his angles just in the run just game. Didn't have a good yeah, pick. I mean, if you go back, if you say what you can do, Jalen Marshall wasn't ever considered to be an early round pick. No. Neither was Tyvis Powell. So you know, to me, you know, who's advising these guys? Right, and Jalen Marshall, you know what he the, the trait that he has that is that is positive and that would give him a chance to make it as an undrafted free agent is that he's really good with the ball in his hands, but. Size speed is, is below average to poor. Durability has been an issue. Intangibles were not great. And so you add up all those things, and teams are looking and saying, you know what, I, I just I don't know that it's worth one of these picks that we can use on another player that's cleaner in, in one, if not all three of those areas. We'll go to Kelsey Conway, followed by Steve Servi with the New York Post. I wanted to know who you guys thought was the Falcons' most intriguing pick and how do you feel the Falcons shaped out in comparison to all the other NFC South teams? I liked Austin Hooper. That, mm-hmm. to me, is an intriguing pick. When you, when you look at their tight ends and you, you look at what Austin Hooper brings to the table, he's got size, really good when the ball's in the air. He, you know, he can improve as a route runner. His consistency and getting in and out of his breaks, I think, is an area that he has to improve, but... And again, he may never be a a great inline blocker, but he gives good effort and he takes good angles. and And I think that he's going to be as as a guy that you can flex out and move around. I think he's got a chance to be a, a solid move blocker and a guy that continues to develop as a pass catcher. Um, he ran a four six eight his forty at the pro day, four seven two at the combine. He's got speed and he he can create a little bit after the catch too. Devondre Campbell, I liked. I liked him all along coming out of Minnesota. Very athletic. Kid who can run. They wanted more speed and more athleticism, and they got that with Deion Jones and Devontae Campbell. Then Devin Fuller, quarterback, was an athlete coming in, evolved into a pretty good receiving option. Uh, he's got some ability, and I think as a seventh-round pick, a guy that really has not yet reached his full potential, uh, and it was the only wide receiver they drafted. I think Devin Fuller's got a decent opportunity to make that football team. Steve has disconnected, so we're going to go to Josh Katzenstein with the Detroit News followed by David Carvello with the Post and Courier. Hey, guys. Uh, just wondering on Connor Cook. I mean, after this fall, what do you think he has to do to maybe resurrect his, his reputation and then, you know, obviously, you know, uh, prove that he's capable of contributing? And then uh, one Lions question as well. Uh, how, how much of a chance do you think Graham Glasgow has to beat out Travis Watson at center? Let me just start with Cook. I just think it's a resurrect your career. You're going to Oakland. You're going to be behind Derek Carr. Learn from how Derek Carr leads a football team and how he goes about his business. He's a professional. He's been in the league. Uh, he's well liked by his teammates. Uh, you know, look at Derek Carr and what he's doing. Follow him around. Be a sponge. And and for whatever reason, you're not team captain. Voted by your teammates as team captain. You weren't. You weren't MVP. Uh, Aaron Burbridge was. Something wasn't right there. AJ and, McCarron, I think, yeah. is is kind of a similar situation a guy that did won a ton of games just consistently made plays did what they were supposed to do uh, played in a pro style system coming out with both of them there were just some concerns about whatever it is but just are, how they carry are they, are how they, they carry leader yes how they carry themselves and the other part too is with both AJ McCarron and Connor Cook there's not one special unique elite trait you know I look at Connor Cook, and he's got 
accuracy that's solid, but he's inconsistent at times. He has an average to maybe he has an average arm. He has average mobility. So there's nothing special except the fact that his play on the field is is good and his teams win. So if I was Cook, I'd look at A.J. McCarron as the example. You know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to sit behind the starter and I'm going to show up every day with a chip on my shoulder. I'm going to work my tail off. I'm going to be the best I can be and I can learn from this guy in terms of leadership and the way to carry myself. And when I get my shot, I'm going to show him. And you look at A.J. McCarron, his situation right now, that would be the, the lead that I, would, um, that I would follow if I were Connor Cook at this point. We'll go to David Caravello, followed by Bob Condota with the Seattle Times. Guys, why do you think Jarrell Adams, the big tight end out of South Carolina, fell as far as he did in the sixth round after having what we what we thought was a pretty good uh, workout in the uh, in the in the postseason? Uh, concerns about being he's a high rep player, meaning he needs a lot of reps to um, you know to kind of pick things up, but. But once he gets it, he gets it. I I was really surprised. I'll be honest with you. I I had a, I think a third round grade on him, and and one of the top four tight ends in the class. And I was really surprised to see him fall that far. Uh, but who cares where you get drafted? Outside of you know just the initial slotting, he's got an he's got an opportunity to go in and and showcase what he can do. I think that. You know, to me, the speed he brings, the fastest tight end at the combine, the length that he has, the fact that he's continued to put on weight and good weight, and he hasn't lost any speed, and his efforts outstanding as a blocker, even though he lacks, you know, great size or bulk, I should say, he's in there battling on tape. He's the the best I thought of all the tight ends in terms of separating from man to man coverage. He's got quickness. I, I just think he's got an opportunity to to prove a lot of people wrong with his play on the field. We'll go to Bob Condota, followed by Nate Ulrich with the Akron Beacon Journal. Um, yeah, hey, uh, um, Trevin Boykin and Vernon Adams are both going to be here. The Seahawks signed Boykin as an undrafted guy, and Adams is coming here as a tryout. I was, I was wondering if you guys were surprised at all that neither of them was drafted and what kind of chances you would think either of them have. Uh, they, they, the Seahawks don't have a backup right now other than Russell Wilson, other than other than those two guys. No, not surprised that Boykin wasn't drafted. I think as a wide receiver, once you don't run that kind of 40 necessary uh, to show that you have that type of explosiveness and speed, then your quarterback, he didn't seem to show that ability when I watched him to be an NFL quarterback. So he would have been a projection. A lot of these quarterbacks have transitioned, some pretty effectively. Some have missed the, the mark. But uh, the opportunity to be a wide receiver once that 40 was run was was – Slight, and I think that pushed him down. In terms of Vernon Adams' size, was he going to be the next Russell Wilson? Thought Russell Wilson could help him. Uh, you know, I thought he played well in the Michigan State game. Uh, yeah, you think about how close they came to winning that game in East Lansing. He just was a. <clears throat> Excuse me, a slight overthrow, uh, but uh, it's a Canadian Football League quarterback. That's the way he's always been viewed. And in this draft, we saw some pretty good prospects drop into the late rounds uh, of the draft. Some pretty good quarterbacks were rated ahead of Adams. Now, maybe had they gone a little earlier, had Chicago, had Arizona, had Houston, teams like that taken a quarterback, then uh, you know, hire some of these guys that dropped, and maybe Vernon Adams could have been taken. So it's a good uh, place for him, yeah, though, to yeah. get an opportunity to you know to see how Russell Wilson plays the position and to watch how he uses his footwork inside the pocket to to locate passing lanes and the anticipation that Russell Wilson has and then the the patience inside the pocket and then when to pull the trigger on getting out out of the pocket and and utilizing that speed and and elusiveness 
I thought Vernon Adams, when he was healthy this past year, he was outstanding at Oregon. Well, I mean, why not have why not have a Russell Wilson type, the kind of the poor man's Russell Wilson, right. operate behind Russell Wilson yep. and and understand how he goes about his business? If they can see a little bit of that in a guy like Vernon Adams, then maybe he has a shot to make the football. Yeah, team. and he remember too, he went down that to the East West Shrine game and with pretty good competition all around, was the MVP of that game and was a playmaker. So I listen. I, I think it's a long shot that he that he winds up hanging around for a long time in the league. But if, if there was one place or one of a, just a handful of places, Seattle would be the, one of the places I would pick, I should say, for Adams to go because he's, he's going to learn from the guy who does it best and has done it best in terms of an undersized, shorter quarterback. Nate Ulrich is up, followed by J.P. Shadrick with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Hey, guys. Um, just looking for your overall uh, assessments of the Browns draft. And within that, you know, what do you think of their quarterback decisions? Obviously, trading down from two, passing on a chance to get Wentz. And then later in the first round, you know, passing on a chance to get Lynch. And then obviously going with Kessler in the third round. Well, you know, uh, you know, Todd and I have talked about that a lot today. I was surprised they didn't look at Connor Cook uh, over Cody Kessler, but they obviously have a strong field. Kessler is a guy; he's a game manager, is what he is. He doesn't make mistakes. He won't force it, and he's uh, he's got huge hands. So, you know, for being not say physically imposing, he's got huge hands that'll obviously help him in poor weather conditions. Um, you know, Brian Sipe had a good career in, in Cleveland. That was brought up out of San Diego State. And, uh, you know, Bernie Kosar came out of Miami of Florida and with that awkward delivery, uh, unorthodox delivery, and he had success in Cleveland. So we'll see. Uh, you, know, you know, Cody Kessler looked like to me to be more of a career backup type, but obviously they see more than that with him or you don't take him in the third round. Uh, you know, I had no problem with Emmanuel Ogba. I thought he was a guy showed flashes, needs some technique work, and he's still raw, but he's a very hard worker. Uh, Carl Nassib had the one great year. Uh, he showed ability to get off the edge. Sean Coleman is a guy has a chance to be a helpful offensive tackle. I like that. Uh, I thought Lewis was a reach. Kindred was a reach. Uh, I look at Peyton Higgins as nice picks where they were taken, particularly Higgins, who's one of the most skilled route runners in this draft. So kind of, and you also get a second round pick from Tennessee in 2017. Uh, you know, Corey Coleman started it all off. If he can learn to run NFL routes and be have better recognition with his eyes uh, to an NFL, and, one, and obviously you know going through and and evolving as an NFL receiver, it's going to take a little bit of time coming out of that Baylor offense. But uh, overall, they got a, a you know quantity. Uh, some some quality, but I think ultimately it's going to be about Cook and Kessler how they end up three years from now, and pass and passing on Wentz, who is now in Philadelphia. When a few years ago they passed on Roethlisberger uh, when they had Jeff Garcia. And I, I think one part that's interesting too is you've got Robert Griffin the third, who's a good deep ball thrower and in that kind of style, and you've got a Corey Coleman who's a really good vertical route runner and can create after the catch, but he what he does best is, is run nine routes and post, you know, deep posts and post corners. And then you bring in Cody Kessler, who's more – he fits best in a precision-based timing offense, very accurate, short to intermediate, outstanding football intelligence, quick release, extends plays with his awareness, and I think sneaky, underrated quickness and mobility. Uh, but where he struggles is with the – you know, the arm strength and accuracy throwing the deep ball. So they're very, they're almost polar opposites in terms of uh, quarterbacks. And it'll be interesting to see kind of the style and, and how that, that all plays out. But Hugh Jackson, from what I understand, has always liked this guy going back to USC and, and really wanted to bring him in and thinks that he can develop him. 
We'll go to J.P. Shadrick, followed by Matt Lombardo with NewJersey.com. A couple of questions, uh, Ramsey and Jack. Would you have thought a week ago that they would be on the same defense next year, and what kind of impact can they make? And then in the third round in Gakwe out of Maryland, along with the uh, sixth-round pick out of Montana, uh, what kind of pass rush do those guys bring? Uh, first of all, you have to be thrilled if you're Jacksonville. Because for a while there, it didn't look like Ramsey was going to get to you. And let's face it, Ramsey's the perfect fit in this system. When you think about the Seattle Seahawks corners and what Gus Bradley's looking for in, in terms of bigger physical press uh, corners, Jalen Ramsey can be exactly that. Uh, Miles Jack, it's all about the durability. But I think Mel would agree he's one of the five best football players in this draft when he's healthy. His tape was outstanding. He was better early in 2015 uh, than he was in 2014, and he was really good in 2014. So you get both of those guys. Obviously, we're gonna. Time will show, will tell. How long can he stay on the field? Uh, Mel can speak to Ngakwe more, but Sheldon Day was one of my favorite players in this draft in terms of you know mid round guys with the effort and motor and and everything that you want love about the game. I remember I've told the story before, but I remember being the last practice he ever had, two days before the Fiesta Bowl. He's a senior. He's got nothing to prove. They're running two-minute drill, and he twists his ankle. And he's out there in the field, and they, the coaches, understandably, send in a substitute for him. They, they want to sub him out. And Sheldon Day tells the guy to beat it, and then he's going to stay on the field. And he finishes out practice going 100 miles an hour and, and fighting through and limping around the field. So this is the, that's the kind of guy that, that he is, and he has the quick twitch ability. And in a league where 65 70% of the time you're in sub-package, He's going to be on the field, and he's going to help rush the passer. Yeah, and in Gawkway, I saw a lot of him at Maryland. Uh, he can get around a corner, and he can be a real problem for offensive tackles, getting out of their stance and, and dealing with his outside pressure. Uh, he's stronger than you think. He's naturally strong. He, he doesn't have great length, uh, but he can get after it. I, I like that pick, and I think with Holmes and Woodard, Jonathan Woodard's a guy out of Central Arkansas. When you watched him, he showed promise. He showed potential. Uh, I thought he was a guy that uh, that could go a little earlier. Uh, six of their seven picks were on the defensive side, so you know where the emphasis was, and then you throw in uh, Dante Fowler Jr. as a bonus. No offensive lineman taken, though, and that's the group that has to evolve into a solid unit for Blake Bortles to uh, step it up and, and become the quarterback. We know he's shown flashes of uh, if they're going to take the next step, which is be a playoff contender. We'll go to Matt Lombardo and then John Mishota with the Dallas Morning News. Hey, guys, outside of Carson Wentz, which of the Eagles draft picks in your mind has the most upside, and which of these guys has the best chance to step in and play right away? Well, uh, yeah, just to look at it, and Todd can can give his opinion on this. Uh, real quick, I think Samolo is a guy who can help you at center or guard, but I think Jalen Mills – uh, you know, is a guy with his versatility as a seventh-round pick out of LSU uh, should be able to help that secondary. McAllister's got to get stronger and add some weight. Uh, he's got a chance as a pass rusher. Uh, so I would say Samolu for me, uh, then Mills and McAllister. Yeah, Samolu, I would agree. I, I think he's. I think he has starting ability in this league, and uh, and. You know, he came off the board kind of where we thought he would in the third round, and people seem surprised. I, I'm not sure why, but that's kind of, that's where we had him rated. And um, so, for a team that is looking for improved offensive line play and trying to get younger at some spots, I thought Hal Vitai. I don't know how to pronounce his full name. Leave that for Trey Wingo. But Vitai from TCU. I, I think he's got some tools to develop as well. When you just look at him and and what he did throughout his career, I, I think. I liked his tape. I really did. And I, 
I think that when you look at his length and, and the toughness that he plays with, he's 6'6", 320 pounds, 34 and a quarter inch arms, and thought he was a solid three-year starter and a guy that has experience at both right and left tackle. The technique has to improve, and he's coming from that, you know, an offense where not not putting his hand in the dirt and firing out and all that, but he has the agility and, and some movement skills uh, to, to do a good job in that system. So I, I think they got a couple guys that can develop into starters down the road uh, and will provide some depth, but I think, I think the guard's going to wind up being – a player and a contributor before Vitae. We'll go to John Mashoda, followed by Justin Rogers with M Live Media. I want to get your guys' take on, on Rico Gathers, uh, the basketball player out of Baylor that the Cowboys drafted, and I also wanted to get your take on uh, basically them taking Jalen Smith in the second round and Malik Collins in the third, and if you think it's better off that they did that or if they would have traded those picks and, and gotten Paxton Lynch. Gathers was interesting to me. I mean, why not take a chance? I, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, this guy hasn't played played football since uh, eighth grade, since he was in junior high school. But he, he grew up playing football and basketball. His brother was a defensive end at Georgia Tech, and I guess when he got to about eighth grade, he, he asked his brother, you know, what do you think I should do? Should I pick one sport? And he said yes and pick basketball because you have long, you know better chance for longevity and – um, it doesn't sound like he was going to wind up in the NBA, so he started training and working out and, and committing full time to uh, to learning how to play the tight end position. And from what I'm from what I'm told, and again, I've never seen this guy play a down of football in my life. I I just have the measurables and and some forty times and all of that. It's intriguing with his length and with his athleticism and and with uh, the, the speed that he has at his size. And I've been told he catches the ball well in workouts, but it's not a game situation. So there's a lot there physically. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. But we've seen several basketball players turn tight ends that have they've worked out in the league. Yeah, where would he be if he would have had one year playing football? Mm-hmm. If he caught 50 balls at Baylor. Where would he have gone? A lot higher than the sixth round. And I, I'm with you on the Paxton Lynch. If you want Paxton Lynch, you go get him. Quarterbacks are too valuable in this league. If you had uh, an inclination and a feeling about Lynch that was strong uh, and a strong opinion about him, you go get him. I don't think you say after the draft, well, I wish I would have. Yeah, you go get him. Uh, Malik Collins was an underachieving defensive tackle at Nebraska. We don't know what Jalen Smith's going to be in two years. I thought that was high. Trade back if you're going to take Jalen Smith a little bit. They could have. There were a lot of deals made in the second round uh, where you could have got into the early to middle portion. They were at 34, could have got down to 38 to 45 and probably still got him. Uh, Charles Tapper, I do like the fourth-round pick. And there's a lot's going to be expected of Charles Tapper. They needed a defensive end. Bosa was gone when they picked Elliott. Uh, no cornerback to the sixth, no wide receiver. A lot of pressure is going to be on Charles Tapper uh, to compete and maybe win a starting job. We'll go to Justin Rogers and then Dan Duggan with NewJersey.com. Hey, the three pieces from the middle of the Alabama defense all dropped in the second round. Uh, specifically, Mel, you, you called Ashawn Robinson one of the steals of the draft. I wondered how you felt he'd be able to contribute immediately in Detroit's attacking front and, and what his ceiling is in that scheme. 
Yeah, Todd and I differ. Todd's a Jaron Reed uh, supporter. I'm an A'shaun Robinson supporter. I just love his hustle, his athleticism, uh, his no quit. Uh, he fights. He's a leader. He's a great leader in the locker room. He's just turned 21 years of age, so he's young. Uh, you know, people say, "Well, the pass rush." Well, he had a lot of sacks early on. Five and a half as a freshman. It's in him. Uh, he can be disruptive. Um, I think Ashawn Robinson was a great second round pick for the Detroit Lions, and Raglan dropped to the second because we don't know if he can be a three down player. Uh, he's got to, and also keeping his weight at a level necessary to maintain quickness and range is going to be important for him. But what Buffalo needed was a CEO of the defense ready to play right away. He can be that guy. Uh, you know, and you can speak to, to Jerry yeah, Reed as Reed, well, Tom. Reed, I, I think he's an underrated player that was not on the field a lot in, in pa- obvious past situations. So I'm not saying he's a great pass rusher, but I think he's, he, he's more disruptive than the statistics would indicate. And when I watched him on tape, he was the most consistent interior defensive lineman that they had. He, I think really simply – He's the best run-stuffing and run-defending interior defensive lineman in this class. Now, again, just like Raglan and, and Robinson to a certain degree, I think he fell to 49 in the second round of Seattle because you may not – if you don't develop him as a pass rusher, he may just be a one-down player. And I think that was a theme throughout this entire draft. NFL teams, what's the average? 65% they're in sub-package. And I talked to one team that said we were in, we just did a study, 70. we were in 70% yeah. of the time. Yeah. So you're talking now what the league used to be, the two-down player, and then the one-down specialist come in in sub-packages, it's flipped. So I'm not going to spend a first-round pick on a player who may only be on the field for one out of three downs. So I think that's the issue, but I do think Reed has more tools than people think as a pass rusher. And, and I think he, I think Seattle got a really good – one of the steals of the draft, in my opinion. And one thing to tag on Jaron Reed, he plays as hard as anybody. Yes. The effort and Outstanding. the hustle. And he gets off of – it's not yeah. just taking on, blo- taking on blocks and eating space. He gets off of uh, blocks and goes and makes plays, too. He, he's fast on a straight line for his size. Dan has disconnected, so we're going to move to Rich Tamini with ESPN New York followed by Craig Peters with Vikings.com. Yes, this is for one or both of you guys. I'm going to jog your memory a little bit. I'm wondering if you could compare how you felt about Geno Smith and Bryce Petty when they were coming out compared to how you feel about Hackenberg now in terms of which one of the three you think had the higher upside. Well, for me, they were all completely different. You know, the Baylor offense is going to prevent you from being a factor for a while. Uh, and Bryce Petty's a big, strong-arm quarterback, but uh, he needed with some athletic ability. But he needed time. Geno Smith had that that stride that you know, I call it mechanically. You know, it's not the delivery, but the the length of his stride was going to create problems in a pocket. You got Byron Leftwich had that long stride. You can't have that. I thought they needed to tweak that with Geno Smith. So it's not surprising that he ran into a few issues. Issues along the way, you know, Hackenberg's different because he was always a guy coming out of high school, highly regarded. Goes to Penn State when he could have, you know, opted to go somewhere else with the issues they were having. Uh, he stacks up with Bill O'Brien. Had a great freshman, very good freshman year. But he had Allen Robinson. He had a better offensive line, and he had Bill O'Brien. And since that time, he's deteriorated because of the offensive line's inability to protect. He doesn't deal with pressure well. Uh, he was a guy that his, his body language at times wasn't what you wanted this year. He didn't have big time receivers. There were a lot of issues with that offense beyond him. But you can't excuse it all away and say, "Well, it's because Bill O'Brien wasn't there." So the happy medium was put him in the second round, try to recreate him. 
Uh, I don't think he's ready to play right away. I think he needs time. Hopefully he's not forced to be the guy or he's going to be a bust. So uh, if they handle him properly and manage him properly, Todd, I think he's got a chance to maybe three years down the road surface. If they're forcing Tristan Hackenberg to start being a factor right away, a quarterback, they're barking up the wrong tree. Yeah, looking back, I, I had a second-round grade on Geno, second-round grade on Hackenberg, and a fourth-round grade on Petty. Petty had the best leadership and football character of all these guys. Not, not a negative to anyone. He just, he, his was off the charts. He came from a system that didn't translate very well. Geno came, came from a system that, that did not translate perfectly, and, and he had a lot of adjusting to do, whereas Hackenberg has played in more of a pro-style system. Gino had mechanical some mechanical issues that had to be worked out, but it was a little bit more accurate than Hackenberg. Hackenberg, is, I mean, it all comes down to the accuracy. I think from a mental standpoint, he improved with his decision-making. He's, he's got the size you look for. He, to me, can handle everything that you throw at him mentally. But can he get his footwork to a point where – He's consistent with it. He relies on it. He believes in it, and he, he really fits and regains his confidence as a as a passer. Ultimately, that's it. Because Petty, who knows where Petty is, or what I don't know what they think of him to this point. I think he has a, a lower ceiling than Hackenberg, and um, and ultimately Hackenberg probably from the pro style system with his skill set has the greatest upside of the group, but he's the furthest away in terms of accuracy of those three quarterbacks when it comes to leaving school uh, at their respective times. We'll go to Craig Peters, followed by Jim Wyatt with Titans Online. Guys, what do you think of Moritz Bowringer, the process that landed him here in Minnesota, and then the challenges that he faces in trying to adapt to a whole different level of competition? Well, it's it's an awesome story. I mean, you know, the first German league player, first European player to come over to not play college football in America to to get drafted. Um, talked to Rick Spielman earlier today, and just you know, excited about the potential and as raw as can be. I mean, we Mel and I watched the tape on like on my phone, a video uh, the YouTube stuff that was sent to us, and just watching him dominate. And I said it on air; it, it looked like watching bad high school football in Florida. I mean, you just, the, the competition made it so, the lack of competition made it so hard to, to even translate what we were seeing into what the game that he's going to go play. But big, fast, explosive numbers. Uh, I, I got a phone call, about, I think it was two, three weeks before the draft, and a friend who's a scout in the league who was at the pro day said, do you know this Moritz Boringer guy? And I said, no, I've never heard the name before in my life. He goes, well, you better get your information down on because he's getting drafted. And so, it, that, and that was not from the Vikings. So there are several teams, from my understanding, that were planning on drafting him from you know from that point somewhere in that late round, sixth, seventh round. And it'll be interesting to see if they can develop him again. The sixth, seventh round. There's all special teams you want. You want certain types, and then you want guys that you can try to develop because their upside is so great. I think for Boringer practice squad, whatever it is, get him in there and try to get him a year in the background where he doesn't have to compete at all and do anything contribution-wise on the field. 
and just see if he's picking things up quickly enough and if he can handle uh, when he's out there in individual drills. Yeah, I mean, he's a man among boys at that level. When you watch the any, any footage of, of, of Boringer at that level, it was definitely, I mean, he was flying by guys like they were standing still. And you can't really judge much by that except to say he's an elite talent. Can he ever be an NFL player? Talent-wise, he's a remarkable. But can he be an NFL football player? Who knows? Now, he needs, he needs minimum of two years. Minimum of two to get him ready, I believe. Uh, so he's going to have to be hidden away somehow, which is hard to do these days, and, and see where he is. He, he can't be a factor right away. Uh, you know, I, that's unrealistic. So uh, he's, a pro, he's the ultimate project, and the only reason he was drafted uh, out of that low, low, low level of competition is because his workout numbers and the way he dominated that, now dominated that level is pretty much off the charts. We'll go to Jim Wyatt, followed by Dwayne Rankin with the Montgomery Advertiser. No, Todd, if you guys can comment on your overall impressions of the Titans draft and uh, and speak specifically on Derrick Henry and how you'll think he'll be in the Titans system. I like the Titans draft. I, uh, yeah, I could have even gone a little higher in terms of a grade. Uh, you know, with Tennessee, because they get that first and third from the Rams next year. Uh, so when you factor in that, as well as the Jack Conklin, who I've been raving about for months now, I think you look at Kevin Dodd is kind of iffy. I think he could be a real good pass rusher. He could be a guy that's just average. You saw a one-year wonder out there. And the, the Alabama game, you went up against Dominic Jackson, who wasn't drafted uh, and didn't figure to be drafted. Austin Johnson is a nice second-round pick. Uh, and Derrick Henry, hey, if you can get him downhill, and they brought in DeMarco Murray, this offensive line is going to be better with the addition of Conklin, who's a really good run blocker. He's a, sm- a smash-mouth football player. He's a blood-and-guts football player. He's a throwback. Uh, I think uh, you know, Bayard had all those interceptions, big play guy. Uh, around, you know, Miraculously, astonishingly, wasn't invited to the combine. Uh, Sharp is a sure-handed possession receiver. Sims showed promise at corner, as did Reed, the cornerback from Southern Miss. Tratola, at one point in time, looked like a third-round pick. He's kind of a telephone booth-type guard, but uh, I think he can uh, play. So, uh, to me, a, a really good A, A-minus draft for Tennessee. And then you have to, like I say, factor in, Todd, next year they get the one and the three from the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, and those are huge. I mean, you're talking about potentially two more starters next year from from the first and third in addition to whatever their their picks are. Uh, in that 2017 draft, Conklin to me is the perfect fit. I mean, because you're you need to be able to run the football more successfully and and be have a little bit more of a tone setter up front, and Conklin provides that and helps in pass protection with Marcus Mariota. So I I think they nailed it with that pick, picking the right spot to do it. Conklin could have gone a couple picks later, uh, so they they picked the team in, in the. Browns that they knew wanted to move out and they were able to get that deal done and still had a haul in terms of all the picks that they had to work with in this draft and next draft. Uh, Kevin Dodd, you know, to me, the upside is there. I, I thought that I think he has more developing he has to do. He was a late bloomer, didn't start playing football till later in high school. He was behind a bunch of really talented players at Clemson. Uh, so his game experience is not at an ideal level. But if you're focusing on the positive, it's that he came on strong this past season. He played big and big games, was dominant towards the end of the season, and it seems like the light really started to come on uh, for Kevin Dodd. Plus, he has the measurables and, and the tools, I think, uh, to translate to success and, and production on the field at the next level. So I, Dodd wasn't my favorite player in the process, but that's about where he graded out early second round, and I, I think he's got some, some developmental upside, if you will. Dwayne Rankin with the Montgomery Advertiser, you're next. Yes, thank you. 
everyone's been talking about you two obviously we're talking about pass rushers and how that impacted the draft where we saw more pass rushers taken and guys like Sean Robinson, Jaron Reed went in the second round because they weren't as good of a pass rusher. But that being said, looking at next year's draft, how high could you see like a Miles Garrett or Jonathan Allen or Tim Williams going in the draft if they project to do what they're expected to do this upcoming season? I think just watching, not really studying Tim Williams, but watching, you know, Conklin in, in that game. And, and it seems like, you know, Ole Miss, we had so many games that I was watching the other offensive line and then just studying all the Alabama players. And, man, that guy flashes. I mean, some of the – like the spin move, the club move that he used, that one sack. Mm-hmm. He, he was an absolute terror. And Miles Garrett was an absolute terror too. I – Without having really truly studied every single play of them and and go through the process, and I have no idea their height, weight, speed, or anything else, but they look they have the look of guys that potentially could wind up in the first half of a first round. Yeah, if you're doing any projections for next year, Miles Garrett's got to be really highly rated. Uh, he's got to be way up there. Certainly, Deshaun Watson, the quarterback, Clemson, Leonard Fournette, running back LSU, Dory Jackson, the cornerback from USC, but and Cam Robinson, the left tackle at Alabama, but from a defensive standpoint, uh, Jonathan Allen, had he come out this year, could have been a first-round yeah, pick. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah. I think he may have been higher than both of the yeah. other yeah. defensive line. So you look at that, and you say, okay, with Garrett, uh, and Williams has just been, I thought Williams would have been a first-round pick. Garrett and Williams made some really, really good offensive tackles yeah. look silly at times. I was surprised that, you know, frankly, that Nick Saban was able to convince Williams or somehow Williams and uh, and Allen were, felt the need to go back. And we see, saw a lot of players come out this year that shouldn't have. Uh, I thought Williams, the momentum he built up at the end of the year, and the way this league is for pass rushers, uh, he would have gone really high. Now, next year, if he, if he can duplicate or build on what he did, Forget Tim it. Williams is a top-five pick. Uh, he's like a Khalil Mack was coming out, that kind of player coming out. And certainly uh, Jonathan Allen's a mid-first rounder if he can build on what he did. So uh, you just hope they don't get hurt. That's the bottom line. And they play hard and they have great years and, and uh, they end up at the top of the draft. Thank you to all of the media members who have joined us today. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Mel and Todd, if you catch their first draft podcast, though, they'll have even more analysis on top of everything that's already out on ESPN.com.